0: got the great delight and joy of introducing linda up here Uh, linda is a wonderful friend and mentor to me um so i am totally honored to introduce her and pray for her this morning god thank you for linda for the gifts that she has for the woman that she is god for your delight in her and i pray you bless her now as she speaks to us and that we would have ears to receive all the goodness amen Amen. Thank you, Kate. Okay, so this morning we are continuing our series um, on how to be fruitful in our front lines. And we've been looking at six M's. We've looked at two so far. The first was modeling godly character, and the second was making good work. And today we're going on to look at focusing on ministering in grace and love. Now, this series is based on the book of Colossians, and the previous two weeks, we've actually been in the third chapter, but we're going to back up to chapter 1 today, and I'm just going to read the verses from verses 3 to 8 in chapter 1, so if you want to have a look at that, you can also be up on the screen here. It says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that's come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love. In the spirit. Okay, so just a little bit of a reminder of the context of this. Paul, who wrote this, was writing from prison. And it was probably while he was under house arrest in Rome. Now, he had never visited the church here. But he wrote to them because of a report that they were falling into some serious error. False teaching and false practices were seeping in. And it was influencing some of the believers and it was threatening their faith. So he wrote to combat the errors which had risen and to show believers that nothing needed added. They had everything as we have everything in Christ. Paul begins the letter with this encouragement. He says we always thank God for you. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all God's people, and that the hope that you have in what is to come. He thanks God for the evidence of the growth of the gospel in their lives. He looks at what they were doing, and he commends them for it. And I love this about Paul. I mean, just think about Paul, you know, just for a minute, that this guy was in prison. He'd been through some pretty awful things, and yet he chooses to look outside of himself, of his own issues, of his own stuff, to look at a church he'd never been to, and actually he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to help them. He wanted to help them look at some of the areas that they were struggling with. And he ministers out of a place Of mercy and love. Why? Because he wants the best for them. His motive is to see them grow in their love and depth of relationship with God. And he wants again to show them that God is enough. Now Paul could have acted out of a place of frustration, of annoyance. He could have spoken critically but instead he encourages and he challenges. And there's a big difference isn't there? between criticism and challenging. The dictionary definition of of criticism says, it indicates the faults of someone or something in a disapproving way. Now, does anybody like being criticized? Hands up. No? We're not really that keen on it, are we? Why? Why don't we like being criticized? Well, it makes us feel really small, doesn't it? It reinforces the fact that we've messed up, and we know that already. And it can lead to those feelings of, oh, I've really failed. But then that can lead to even more worse feelings of, I am a failure. But if we're challenged, if somebody challenges us, what's different? See, the motivation behind being challenged is different. It's not there to pull us down. It's there to build us up. It comes from a different place. It comes from a place of love and desiring more for that person. Or in this case, Paul, he's desiring more for the church. Now I have people in my life who challenge me, and it's important, and I hope you do too. You see, they see my potential, they see room for growth in my life, and they'll talk to me about it. And I might not always like it, but I can take it because I know they want the best for me. Now, our front lines can bring us into contact. Well, they do bring us in contact with lots of people, whether that is even at home, whether that's at work, whether it's at the school gate, at the gym, at the the supermarket, wherever it is, we come into contact with people. And sometimes, if we're honest, we can possibly get pulled into conversations that criticise others. I used to work in an all-women environment, and I can tell you quite openly that some of the conversations were not always very healthy or very positive about others that we worked with. But again, Paul shows in this letter a different way. It's the importance of encouraging others and building them up so we can have a relationship with people that if we need to challenge, there's a good, firm relationship as a foundation to begin with. And the reason we can operate from this positive place is because if we take a minute to stop and look at our own lives, we can see how much continual grace and love we receive from God. At least I know that I do. And it's not just about the cross. The cross is amazing and the cross has changed everything for us. And it's the most profound thing. But there's more than that because every day when he forgives us, when we mess up, and every day when we fall he bends down to pick us up the constant grace and love and mercy we receive he just says to us pass it on what you've received give that out to others now there's a story way back in genesis and it's about noah we all know about noah don't we and the ark this isn't about noah and the ark this is about noah after the ark And I just want to read a few verses, and it says this, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard, and when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what the youngest son had done, he cursed him. Now, why am I talking about Noah and Noah being naked and all this kind of stuff? Well, in this, Ham, in this story, exposes his father's wrongdoing. He doesn't seek to help. He doesn't seek to change anything. In fact, what he does, he goes out and he tells his brothers. He gossips and he tells them what their father's done. Yet Shem, sorry, Shem and Japheth act differently. They act respectfully. They go and help their father and they cover him. You see, love covers. Love protects. It does not expose. Now, in any relationship that we are in, did you know that we're never neutral? And do you know what I mean by that? See, we're either connecting or disconnecting all the time with people. We make a choice as to what we do. And even if we think, well, I'm not in much conversation with that person, I'm not really with them, the likelihood is there's a little bit of disconnection that's coming along. And I sometimes use this as a little bit of a barometer. So if I need to have a conversation with somebody that's a bit difficult, can I say it's probably often with my children, but anyway, it could be with others as well. In that moment, I need to see if I'm acting out of a place of frustration because of what they've done, Or am I acting out of place of wanting them to see something so that they can grow? There's a difference there between disconnecting out of frustration and connecting because I want to see something better. And it's a good way I often find when I need to speak to somebody, am I trying in this moment to connect or disconnect? Maybe you can try it and see, and you can let me know if it works for you. See, at the heart of it, we want people to grow. And that was Paul's heart. When Paul begins, he gives thanks for their faith. And it's not just general faith. He he gives thanks for their faith in Christ Jesus. He recognizes it's not just head knowledge that they have, but he sees faith in action. And it expresses itself in love for God's people. And in the message version, it says this. We keep getting reports on your steady faith in Christ, our Jesus, and the love you continuously extend to all Christians. Faith directed towards Jesus Christ is embodied in love for others and motivated by hope in the life to come. You know, sometimes when we look around us, life can seem a little bit hopeless, can't it? When we look at the state of the economy, when all that we've been through with COVID, with the world crisis that are going on, every day we hear negative things in the news. And maybe there's stuff going on in our own lives that isn't great either. But we have a hope. We have a hope in something that does not change. And it's the only foundation that is solid, that brings us hope for the here and now. And that hope is in Jesus. And there's this old hymn that I just kind of came back to mind as I was um, just kind of thinking of this, was my, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, in him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Edward Mote, who wrote this, he said he wanted to talk about the gracious experience of a Christian. I really like that phrase, the gracious experience of a Christian. And he wrote it based on the parable of the wise and foolish builders. See, the wise man builds his house on a rock, and that's our foundation is Christ. So we want to build on him, don't we? But it goes on to say it's not about just what we hear. We have to put those words into practice or we are like the foolish man that hears it but doesn't do anything about it. There's a big difference between what we hear and what we do. See, when storms come, if we're not founded and living in that hope, we'll fall. And it's important that we stand strong, just not in what we know, but in who he is, that there's that relationship and that encounter with Jesus. We want to be able to lead others, not just to a book, not just to the Bible, but we want to lead people to a person. But to lead people to the person, the author of that book, we have to have had that encounter first. You know, Paul is grateful to God for the signs of the church's faithful acceptance of the gospel and the evidence of the gospel being worked out in their lives, in these three things, in faith and love and hope. And here we see people growth. But then Paul goes on and he talks about gospel growth. He says all over the world the gospel is growing and bearing fruit. And many commentators point out that the language here alludes to God's command for the first humans to be, to be fruitful and increase in number. Here the original mandate to be fruitful in number is finally being fulfilled in the growth of the gospel and throughout the world as well as new people being made new in Christ. And this is what we are here to do, to spread this amazing gospel. We've been called first to be founded and grow in Christ, but then to share what we have with those around us. And as we do that from a place of mercy and love, our behavior and our action can speak more than words. Sometimes it's not about what we say, but it's what it's about what we don't say. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes our silence can be louder. I had a boss many years ago and she knew I was a Christian and she didn't like it very much. And she would always be doing stuff to antagonize me, to upset me, to to get a response from me or a reaction from me. And I didn't do it, partly because I knew exactly what she was playing at. So actually it was, it was quite easy. And I could see her trying to get me to react and others around watching the two of us to see what the interaction would be. And I actually I actually loved loving her because I liked going against what she was doing. And my behaviour spoke not just to her, but to others around her. You see, sometimes the people that can be the most hostile and critical of us, what they are doing is they're testing us. They're testing us to see, are you genuine? Are you just words, or is there something more behind that? And through Christ, we can show this different way of grace and love, and we can look at the opportunities that are before us and take those little steps just to love people and show that mercy and love. And it's not always about the extra mile that we go. Sometimes it is just that one step. There's um, a guy called... Um, um, who, <laughs> sorry, some of you may have found the film or the book The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse by Charlie, Cam- Charlie Mackesy. Has, has anybody come across that? It's a lovely book, and there was a film that's made that just, uh, yeah. I, th- I think, came out just before Christmas, which is worth watching. But there's a clip in it, and it's this clip here, which is, which is the, the mole is asking the boy, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, kind. I mean, how many of us would say that? He, he doesn't talk about, well, I want to be this, and it's all about me, and it's about what I can achieve or what I can become. He says, I just want to be kind, and kindness goes a long way, doesn't it? When we intentionally stop and we're kind to someone, they know they have been seen and they know that they are valued. And I have a really good friend um, who sadly died last year from cancer. But at her thanksgiving service, it was mentioned about who she cared and was kind for so many people. And when she used to come and visit, she used to always bring something with her. But it was something that would have been well thought out or that she had handmade. There was a lot of thought behind it. (laughs) Me and my naivety thought it was just me, because I was such a special friend, that she would bring me these things. But at the Thanksgiving service, we realized she did it with everybody. Everybody she visited, she took something that she'd thought about and gave them something. And she didn't have much. She had very little to give, but she gave out of that place of seeing people and valuing him. And that, for me, spoke volumes about her. And it was the main thing that we talked about at her Thanksgiving service. See, we knew that we mattered to her, and we knew that she loved us by her actions. Being kind and ministering grace and love is about living generously. It's about taking the focus of ourselves and proactively thinking about how we can help or be kind to someone else. And it might at times mean that we have to love and be kind to those that are unlovable, but surely that is where love is at its best. And I want to end with a story from, again, from the, um, this same man. Um, he was sharing one night and he told this story um, and it's about a friend of his who is a hospital chaplain. And every time this man went into the hospital, um, he would pass by this bed. And in this bed was a man who was, who was uh, not the nicest of guys. And he would always be kind of shouting at him or Giving him rude signs or whatever it was, but he was never speaking a kind word to the chaplain. But the chaplain kept passing by, kept saying hello, and just kept going. But one day, as he passed, the guy stopped him and says, I wanna to speak to you. And the chaplain didn't know what it was all about. He says, I wanna know what you believe. I wanna know what this is all about. So the chaplain sat beside him and began to talk about the grace and forgiveness, about the love of God, about Jesus and the relationship that we can have with him. And he listened and he he heard it all. But then he said, but I don't get prayer. How do you pray? What is that all about? So the chaplain pulled up this empty chair next to him. And he says, I want you to imagine that in this empty chair is Jesus. Jesus is sitting in this chair, and you can talk to him about absolutely anything. In fact, I want you to do that. I want you to feel that you can talk about everything that's gone on in your life, about all the shame, about all the difficulties, about the good times, about the things you think you've missed. I want you just to pour it all out and tell Jesus all about it. He says, but as you do it, I want you to remember one thing, and this is the most important thing. And maybe it's the most important thing that I'm going to say this morning, actually. He said to him, I want you to remember, as you share, you are loved. And the guy began to pour out his heart to Jesus. He just began to share everything with him, and the chaplain prayed with him and left. And then a few days later, he was back in, and he walked past the bed. And the man wasn't in the bed. So he went to the nurse and said, excuse me, but where's that man that was there? And he says, oh he died. And the chaplain was quite kind of surprised to hear that. And the nurse said, you know, after you left, the man would not be quiet. He just couldn't help but share about what you'd shared. In fact, he was so animated for days. And then one morning, we just found him and he had died. She says, but it was really weird. Because when we found him, and this man was bedridden, says when we found him, he'd managed to get himself from the hips upwards out of the bed, And he was leaning across the chair and hugging it. And the chaplain began to cry. And he says he got it. He got, in that short space of time, he got that he was loved. And he got that he could kind of put the whole of his weight onto Jesus, that he could give everything to Jesus. And the chaplain said, you know, in our lives, there's a whole lot of things that we can struggle with. And we sometimes might struggle to know that we're loved But in that time, that guy understood it. You know, I don't know about you, but that that really spoke to me. It spoke to me about, do I really know that I am loved? Because for us to operate and to share love and grace and mercy with others, we need to know that we are loved ourselves. And we need to be able to, to get to the place where we can depend fully on Jesus when we can rest our weight on him and that's my heart this morning that's my heart for each one of us here you know my question is do you know that you're loved I want to pray in a minute but I want to ask that question do you know that you're loved do you know that whatever you've been through that whatever you're going through whatever you will go through you can rest it all on Jesus and he will hold it and he will hold you so let's just pray Father, I thank you for the mercy and love that you extend every second of every minute of every day to us, and it never stops. There's that constant flow of your love to us. And Lord, we want that love to fill us. And Lord, I pray this morning for those that are maybe feeling they don't really know they are loved, or maybe they feel part of them is loved, but part of them isn't because it seems a dark place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would flood in this morning, that you would fill people afresh, that those that need to know that they are loved, that you would fill them afresh with your love this morning. Holy Spirit, would you wrap your arms around us that we can rest our weight on you. And then from that place, Lord, that we can take this love and share it with the world that is around us, Father. Amen. Great, thank you so much Linda.